look, that over my career, these are the things that I have learned. These are the little tricks of the trade. You know, when that person retires, that trick of the trade is gone. And unless it's been handed down to somebody else, no one will ever be able to capture that again. Enchanted Sky Media. Media. This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast. Now, here's your host, Scott Orr. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again here on Code 3. This is the show for and about firefighters. We're informing and entertaining members of the fire service, just like you, from coast to coast. When you think of ownership in your career, what comes to mind? Well, there's the book Pride and Ownership by Rick Lasky, and that is kind of what we're talking about here. For some firefighters, ownership means keeping the apparatus clean and shiny. But today's guest, Andrew Sauter, says there's a lot more to owning it than just cosmetics. Andrew has been with the Springfield, Ohio Township Fire Department for 11 years, the last four years serving as lieutenant of an engine house. And he joins me now to explain what he means by taking ownership. Welcome to Code 3. Hi, good afternoon. What do you mean when you say firefighters need to own it? means they need to encompass everything in their in their career from showing up 15 minutes prior to the arrival of their shift to performing the rig check as it is meant to be done, not just pencil whipping it, to sitting around and having the table talk during breakfast about what we're going to do, how we, the time off during their two days or three days, whatever their schedule is, how that went, um, just encompassing being a fireman. So have you seen that in the past and have you seen it change over the years? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you want to talk about sitting at the, uh, let's sit at the cute breakfast table and everybody will pull out a, a cellular device or computer or something and, and they're swiping up or down or left or right. You know, the, the conversation piece is really, really went down. So they're wrapped up in their devices instead of talking <laughs> with their coworkers. Absolutely. What makes it so hard to instill a mentality of wanting to own it into the younger firefighters? I think it's just a generational gap. I mean, when I, like I stated in my article when I was brought up, if, if I didn't do it myself, it didn't get done. And nowadays it seems like you know, parents, have to, parents are running their kids everywhere. They're, they're helping them basically do their homework assignments, things like that. So it's, it's instilled at a young age that they can get other people to do things for them instead of learning how to go out and do something like taking apart a chainsaw. You know, you can take it and get it serviced or you can sit down and you can learn how to properly take it off, maintenance it, make sure the blade is on the correct way, you know, those kinds of things. Sounds like you're talking about two things here. One of them is the idea that the younger firefighters know what to do, but not necessarily how to do it. Is that fair? Oh, absolutely, yes. And they don't, and they don't know what they don't know. You know, they were taught out of a out of a book, and most of them have a, approximately 240 hours worth of training. You know, which is great. But then they come to the they come to the their job, and well, this is the way that we 
we do it. You know, there's a, there's a spin on things that each department does differently than what the book says. And I think there's a lot of assumption that, okay, this kid just came out of class. So he should be, he should be cut, you know, from the same cloth and know what to do, but we fail to take them out and show them for my department, the Springfield township way um, that we load hose or that we pull hose or our operations on a fire scene. And then the other half sounds to me like you're saying they don't know to take initiative on their own. They don't. I, I don't know if it's not that they don't know how to take initiative. I just don't know that they, they know to take it. You know, when you're the new guy at the, at the firehouse, you know, you're, you mind your P's and Q's, you know, you don't speak until spoken to and things like that. So for them to go out and wash apparatus on their own or to go through it on their own, I just don't know that they're, they're certain that that is okay for them to do. And if we don't, you know, on their day one, don't sit down and say, Hey, I'm going to run you through the, through the rig. But at any point in time, you want to go out and learn this on your own you're more than welcome to, you know, this is your firehouse. This is your apparatus. You know, you need to make sure that you are intimately familiar with every piece of equipment on here and how it operates, because we're going to depend on you uh, to know that. Now, big picture, you've told me that something has to change in the fire service. What is the big picture problem? I just would like to see guys to step up. Um, I, I talk a lot to my, my partner is uh He's got many years on the fire service and with me being the officer on, on shift that day, you know, I run them through and I take, take them through what they need to go through. But it's that senior guy that would basically adopt these new people that can bring them under their wing and show them, look, that over my career, these are the things that I have learned. These are the little tricks of the trade. You know, when that person retires, that trick of the trade is gone. And unless it's been handed down to somebody else, no one will ever be able to capture that again. So those are the those are those invaluable assets that uh, that are not taught in a book or at training that you just gain from being a fireman at a firehouse. That's typically the role of the senior man or other people who've been around for a while. Are you saying that it's not being passed down or that they're not absorbing it or where is where is the disconnect here? It's just a generational gap thing. I think it's a communication. Um, you know, we, you go from when I began in the fire service, all the pumps were, you, you know, you dialed them up and you dialed them down with a throttle, you know, now everything is completely computerized. So things like that are generational gaps to where you've got two, two schools of thought trying to, you know, engage a pump and run a pump, things like that. Uh, and you just got to learn how, how you're speaking the same language, but it's not coming out to, to people understanding what you're trying to say. What makes a good leader? A good leader is somebody that goes out and does does the job of what needs to be done regardless of of who's watching, um, any accolades that may come across, and they're, they're willing to go out and do what's right, not what's popular or not what's written down in the SOP. It's going out and doing what's right. That, and that means if today is not washing the engine day, but yesterday it rained and it, the engine is completely filthy, we go out and we do that. It nothing here tells me that I must do that. It's just that it's a, it, it goes back to owning it. It goes back to saying, this is my engine. This is my house. And we are going to do things right. Regardless of whether it's written down on a piece of paper, because we have, because we can do that. It's nothing that's going to get us in trouble. I'm not asking anybody to go out and be a, be rogue as far as stuff like that. It's just when you see something like that, take five minutes, own it and move on. And you're going to see that that is going to be something that people are going to take note of. And they're going to think, huh, 
I didn't have to ask him to do that. Or, you know, this other shift, they always, they always make sure that this stuff's done. I like that. And we're going to try and emulate those things. And before you know it, it's spreading like wildfire throughout your department. And, uh, it's a way to help the department grow and, and just mature without ever having to be really even spoken in most cases. Here again, is that something that you think has been a problem with uh, newer or younger firefighters not getting that attitude on their own? Uh, yeah, I mean, I see it with my kids. You know, I, I fight daily with my kids about picking up their clothes. You know, one will say, well, that's not mine, that's the others. You know, I, I think it's just, it's part of the maturing process with with firemen, with children, with anybody. You know, and, and unless you instill that, have been instilled in in a young age, those are some kinds of the growing pains that you may experience in a professional career like being in the fire service, because being in the fire service is not like going to a nine to five job, being an accountant. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of fire service traditions that people may not pick up on and they may have to learn, learn the hard way through that. I'll be back with more right after this. On any given day, you are tasked to be your best and power through the worst of times, all at a moment's notice. We know the sacrifices you make each and every day. Your success relies on superior equipment and the best training available. That's why Federal Resources is here to support you, the everyday hero. We are here so you can excel. Discover your success at federalresources.com. In your experience, do these problems eventually get solved as the younger firefighters become more experienced, or is this something that if they don't learn it, they're never going to learn it? I think that can be a combination of both. I think there's definitely there's a, a maturation process that goes on. I mean, I when you come out and you're very young, as when I began, I was 18. You know, I look back at what I did when I was 18, and I think. Oh, if I could go back and rewrite the first three years of my career, I would do a lot of things differently. Hmm. So through the maturation process of that, um, yeah, you, when you get to where I'm at, I'm like, good goodness, you know, if I could, if I could just change that. Okay. But then I also watched who I thought was a leader. Um, you know, I had my own little thought process in that of, of who I wanted to emulate in my department. And so I basically just began watching their every move from in the morning to on scenes to the way they carry themselves through the whole 24 hour shift. And I said, if I'm going to be like, if I want to be a good leader, I want to be like that person. So I basically just tried to, in my own way, be like that person through just constant hours of, uh, just being around them and, and having many, many tailboard talks of, you know, that would last well into the night. You know, those, those invaluable things that I talked about earlier, that the communication, the just talking about that I would have never learned if I would have just been simply wa uh, watching him. There was the, those conversations that were had. It sounds like mentorship without actually calling it mentorship. Sure. Absolutely. I think there, I know of departments that do a, a journeyman program, you know, they, potential truckies or engine uh, engine op guys you know they spend a significant amount of time on that sh on those shifts you, it could be up to years learning from those guys you know those are a lot bigger city departments that do that but they do that for a reason 
you know, they pass down those intricate things that I can't teach you in a book and you can't find on YouTube, you know, no matter how many fire searches you try and <laughs> try and find, you know, this is, it's just, those are those things that, that come through with like a journey, journeyman or mentorship and, and you don't lose track of that employee. And those are the ones that I think that turn out to be um, your studs. So I guess what you're saying is the best leaders are the people who you just follow because of how they act, not what they say. Absolutely, because their actions speak louder than words. I mean, I can I can write down or I can say everything that sounds good, and it sounds like, man, that guy's got his stuff put together. But then if I go out on scene and I fall flat on my face and I can't perform, what kind of leader am I? I, I I'm fake. So it's those people and a lot of times the people that go out and do things that can do the job the best, they don't really want to be that have the title of a lieutenant or captain or something like that because of because of having to deal with, you know, administration and being up on a different level as far as, you know, responsibility and things like that. They just want to come in and do their job to the best of their abilities and go home. Being an officer is a different job. And we've discussed that on this show before. If you're a very good firefighter and eventually you make it up to battalion chief, you're now asked to do a different job. Absolutely. And sometimes, you know, it, it's hard. It, believe me, it's hard to be, you know, second or third on the line through the door. You know, being on the nozzle, is the, that's the whole reason why most people become firemen. You know, you want to go in and you want to be that guy on the nozzle that's first in to call first water on the fire. You know, you went in and, and you knocked it and knocked it down and came out and everybody gets to see what you did because the fire's extinguished. You know, there's not a whole lot of glory to the to the guy that's um, humping hose that made that guy fly through the house effortlessly with no kinks and helped with the fire extinguishment. That guy doesn't get the accolades. The guy on the end of the nozzle does, but everybody has their role. And if each one of those roles performs to the maximum potential, the end result is, is phenomenal for the battalion chief, the captain, the lieutenant, anybody that's in command of those uh, scenes. Absolutely. And you hope the man on the nozzle recognizes that he wouldn't be able to pull it off without the second man behind him. Oh, absolutely. I, one of the things that when we begin with our newer employees, they get up to the point, the point of like pump operating. And, you know, that is not a glorious job because nobody wanted, not very many people, I shouldn't say nobody, but not, not very many people want to be pump operators when you're 24 years old. You know, you got, you want to be that guy that's inside doing it. And when it's your day to drive, you're like, oh, you know, that's the day that you're going to catch the working job. But if you don't, if you can't take the truck and you can't, number one, get to the scene safely, you can't get the truck engaged in the pump and you can't get water to that guy on the nozzle. Nobody can do anything. And I really try and stress that, that you honestly are the most important guy on the scene because nobody else can do anything until you perform. And that's, and that can go back to owning it. Every single spot on the fire grounds in the firehouse has a potential to own it. It's just a matter of taking that, that, pride and ownership as you spoke about with uh, Rick Lasky, who's probably the godfather of this yep. is, you know, you just, you have to take it, embrace it. It's your child. You have to rate, you know, if that engine is yours for the day, you make it, you know, everything about it and you have, you are prepared for anything that may come. So if the, if it doesn't engage, right, if you're, if you're taking that ladder, like I wrote and throwing it for your guys up, up to division two and you hear a different sound 
man, it doesn't sound like the water. It sounds like the truck's starting to uh, cavitate, something like that. What's my water level? Those kinds of things. Those are the invaluable, intangible things that you cannot know unless you have spent countless hours out there training, practicing, and getting ready for those moments. Good advice. Andrew Sauter, thanks for being on Code 3 today. Oh, I appreciate it very much. Thanks for the opportunity. And we put some more information on our website at code3podcast.com slash own it. One word, own it. Check it out. Here comes your trivia question. During a hazardous materials response, the incident commander and what other position are required by OSHA? I'll have the answer right after this. If you like Code 3, you'll love the Code 3 Bull Session. It's more discussion with our guests on any topic. Sometimes it's serious. Anywhere from 14 to 18,000 volts of electricity shot into my right hand and exited my right leg and right arm. Spent about four and a half months in a burn unit. Sometimes it's not so serious. And once again, I, I refer to the late Chief Brunacini. I can remember when his book first came out, Fireground Command, there were people that were ready to hang him in effigy. And, and nowadays, we refer to him as St. Bruno. But it's only available to patrons of Code 3. Find out what you've been missing. Go to Code3Podcast.com slash support. Pledge just $10 a month to support Code 3, and you'll get immediate access to all the bull sessions in our library and future interviews as we post them. Become a patron today. Here's the trivia answer. During a hazmat response, OSHA requires an incident commander and a safety officer. And these positions cannot be filled by the same person. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll join me then. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, I'll see you later. Code 3 is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To get in contact with us, visit Code3Podcast.com. And if you haven't subscribed yet, you should. Don't miss an episode. Find us at the Apple iTunes Store, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.